In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Isaiah was a prophet of the 8th and 7th century B.C. Isaiah himself had preached sternly to Judah and Jerusalem, calling them a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity. Right out of the gate, it's not a message, I suppose, that would win friends or influence people, but of course people would be influenced. The Holy Spirit attended this message. Isaiah's message anticipates the upcoming southern kingdom's fall to Babylon. It anticipates it. Hundreds of years before it. The exile, the captivity. The temple would be destroyed just over a century later. The hard times were coming still. Would God act to save? Yes. He'd bring them back to Jerusalem. The temple would be rebuilt, yes. But the true fulfillment of Isaiah 40... Such words of comfort happens with the arrival of John the Baptizer 700 years down the road. 700 years. Even with the prophecies of Malachi a little closer to John, it's 400 years between prophecy and fulfillment. 400 years before this Elijah was sent to prepare the way of the Lord. The words of Isaiah, these words of the Lord, are what had to sustain God's broken people through the captivity, the exile, even the return, and the years of silence with no word from the Lord, no prophet on the scene. Today, We celebrate a somewhat obscure festival, and so far we've done it pretty obscurely with this convoluted form so far, so forgive us for that, but we'll get back on track, right? It's a somewhat obscure festival, admittedly. It interrupts this long green season of the Sundays after Pentecost. We break from the normal lectionary, the normal appointed readings, the structure of the Gospel of Mark and 2 Corinthians readings. And we interject this festival, it happens on June 24th, and it's one of those where if it happens on a Sunday, it trumps the Sunday. And it's June 24th, six months before December 24th, because John was born six months prior to Christ our Lord. When we think of John the Baptizer, though, what do we think of? Probably preparation, baptism, of course, Advent, the church season, yes, and with Advent comes Christmas. We think of a strong preacher, most likely, too. A baptizer, and yes, a martyr, beheaded by Herod. Today, though, we aren't here to celebrate Christmas in June. I know it's supposed to be July, right? But we celebrate and commemorate the birth of John the baptizer, the birth Why? Why? John himself, he would be saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He must become greater. I must become less. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie Jesus' sandals. I'm not he. And he's right. The spotlight then, even with a day that bold says the nativity of St. John the Baptist, The spotlight must be on Christ. 
And it is. So let's look for a minute on Isaiah's preaching and prophecy regarding John. 700 years between prophecy and John's true fulfillment of it. It's no wonder then that Zechariah, John's father, even as he's in the temple, the very locale of God, questioned Gabriel, the angel messenger of God. It's no wonder that he questioned him in a way, right? When Gabriel announced that Elizabeth would conceive and give birth to John. She was barren. They were old. The way of women had gone, most likely. But God promised such things. It's natural for him to doubt. He'd been silent for so long. At least 400 years without a prophet. And in a way, could you imagine a Jew in Babylon, in captivity, in exile, hearing these words, Comfort, comfort my people. Tell my people that her warfare is ended and that there will be a straight shot, a highway back to Jerusalem, headed out of this Babylon. I think Zechariah and that hypothetical Jew would say, I'll believe it when I see it. And that temptation is there for you and for me, too, as Christians in 2018. It has been some time since our Lord Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. He said he'd return. And the scoffers continue to scoff, don't they? Where is he? If he was, if he was truly God, he wouldn't let all those comedians and those... I don't know, I guess Hollywood gets a bad rap, but maybe rightly so. He wouldn't let all those people continue to mock him and scoff at him if he was truly God. Couldn't he zap him with a lightning bolt like good old Zeus? What I'm trying to say, though, is not just to blame them. I'm trying to say also that the questions arise even in the believer because the world and its pressures are pressing upon you. To ask yourself in your heart, is it true? And the devil latches on to those questions, and he rides those questions. But he adds temptations to doubt, to despair, and to deny. Now there is so much that we could say on a celebration such as today. But I'd like you to consider this simple point. God is faithful. He's not lying. You can trust him. You can trust his word. When he is promised, he will do it. And he is serious. He's not disingenuous. He's truthful. He's honest. He'll come through on every single promise, every word of it. And we believe his promises. And we will see them fulfilled. Still, we find ourselves here as exiles, longing for our homeland and sometimes bewildered by the circumstances that we encounter in this exile. We find ourselves as people who have heard God's word and promises, but we still wait for their full fulfillment. We wait for our Lord's appearance. We want him to come again. We're sick of all the scoffing and the trouble of these days. We want deliverance. We want that reunion with our loved ones, our family, our friends, our husband, wife, son, 
daughter, mother, father. We want to be with those believers that have gone before us in the faith. We want to be with Christ in his fullness, the fullness of his reign and kingdom. And we find ourselves, though, in between, don't we? We look to God's word, backward, I suppose, and draw from God's word strength and hope. And then we think again of the time gaps with Isaiah, the Old Testament and fulfillments. And we put ourselves in their shoes. 700 years between Isaiah's prophecy and its fulfillment with John. At least over a century before Jerusalem was in ruins and about 200 years before the captives returned. 400 years between the close of the Old Testament and the actual arrival of John the Baptist, that great Elijah, through whom God prepared the way of Christ's arrival in the flesh. Were they not tempted to doubt God's word? Didn't they have to be reminded of the Israelites' suffering for 400 years in slavery in Egypt? And then God finally acting to deliver. Didn't they need the preaching that even when the times are hard and long, and it seems as if God isn't acting, don't forget how he has acted. Don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. How many sermons, how many times do you think the exiles needed to hear of Isaiah chapter 40 and be comforted? How many tenderly spoke sermons do we need to hear to tell us about the struggle, the warfare truly being over? For you, yes, it's been nearly 2,000 years since our Lord Christ ascended. And yes, it's been that long. But yes, God will fulfill his promise to return. Remember that he is the God who came in the flesh to bear your iniquity and suffer in your place. He fought the battle and he has ended the war. Your war with your sinful flesh, over. Your war with against Satan, over. Your war against the world and all its cares and worries, over. Even though it seems to still go on, doesn't it? Your war with your God, whom you've sinned against and so hide from and even blame. Your war against dying and death. The war is over. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And he will come again. As we await our king's return, we do give thanks that our king speaks so tenderly to us. Still, and especially we need it in this in-between time. He has washed you with his word and water, and he has made you his child, an heir with a certain inheritance coming. He's promised he'll do it. God forgives your sins, and he's honest and genuine. He means it. They're taken away. He feeds you in your exile. In this wilderness with his body and blood under bread and wine. And he speaks tenderly to you who go through. And he understands those doubts. Even the despair 
and are tempted by the devil with denial. God speaks his word of comfort to you today and reminds you of all that he has done, that he is doing, and that he will do for you. He invites you, instead of to you know, doubt, despair, and denial, God invites you to certainty, hope, and trust in him. He has spoken, after all. It's going to happen. Finally, upon this celebration of John's birth, look again at the example of his father, Zechariah. At first, what was Zechariah like? In the temple, near the locale of God, in the holy place, offering incense at the appointed time with a rope tied around his ankle so in case he messed up and God zapped him dead, he could get pulled out. The cloud of smoke going up, the angel Gabriel appearing, and Zechariah, terrified as he was, doubted God's word. He didn't even believe the good news that Gabriel spoke at first. And Zechariah had a form of punishment given him. He was muted, couldn't speak until John was born and named. But Zechariah, that's not the only story we have. It's not the only, it's not where he ends up. Zechariah, when he was finally able to speak, blessed and praised God. His song, the Benedictus, which we sung and we read. It's full of God fulfilling his promises. And so I ask you, little Zechariahs as you may be, to listen to this song again and hear of how much God has promised and how much God is doing and how much God has fulfilled. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Talk about a 2,000 year leap in between, right? Fulfillment and promise. To Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then he turns and looks at his little baby, John the baptizer, right? Doesn't know him as the baptizer quite yet. Knows him as John, right? And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah had gone from doubting God's word to proclaiming God's faithfulness and fulfillment. So many promises fulfilled. He goes and speaks of his son, John, as he who would prepare the way for the Lord. You see, the example of Zechariah goes for us who struggle with such doubts, yet still trust that God would fulfill his word. 
The example of Zechariah and especially John the Baptizer is brilliant because John the Baptizer is so associated with the season of Advent and Christ's first coming in the flesh. How can we not find ourselves as Advent people right now awaiting Christ's second coming? Preaching must go forth. Comfort, comfort my people. Comfort, comfort them with my promises. In conclusion, hear this. God has promised to send John the baptizer to go before him and prepare the way of the Lord. So it was. God has sent his son to die for you to take away all your sins and rescue you from death and the devil. It was promised to Adam and Eve that way. So it is. God has said that his body and blood are under the bread and wine for your forgiveness. So it is. God has promised to return, raise us to live with him evermore, and that we would see his face. So it will be, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. How could it be any other way? In Jesus' name, amen.